You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and catboarding for cherished companions. On Cyril's Avenue, Nevada City, Dr. Susan Murphy and staff are proud to support KVMR. FourPawsAC.com and Scraps Cat and Dog Bakery open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Saturday, offering deliveries and curbside pickup at 2034 Nevada City Highway next to BNC Hardware, 530-274-4493. After the NPR headlines and regional weather, we'll have the first episode of Bravehearts, discussions with homeless people about their situations. Also, I'll be speaking with Heidi Hall, chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, about the town hall meeting on the Jones Fire, which will be happening tomorrow afternoon, and a discussion with Gretchen Bond about what's happening at the Miner's Foundry. Closing out today's newscast, we'll have an essay by Molly Fisk. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines, followed by local weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The 2020 Republican National Convention wraps up this evening with an acceptance speech from President Donald Trump. NPR's Don Gagne reports Trump's remarks will be broadcast live from the South Lawn of the White House. With the pandemic forcing the Republican Party to cancel plans for a big in-person convention, the White House itself has been a prime set piece for the event this week. Already, Trump has granted a presidential pardon and joined a naturalization ceremony welcoming new U.S. citizens, both of which aired in prime time during the convention. Both events took place inside the White House. The First Lady also delivered a speech live from the Rose Garden. Now comes a presidential speech as Trump accepts his party's nomination from a stage on the White House grounds. There'll be a live audience and a fireworks display at the conclusion. Don Gagne, NPR News, Washington. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden today laid blame for the handling of the current coronavirus pandemic and recent racial unrest on Republican President Donald Trump. Biden saying the current situation is because, quote, we are in Donald Trump's America. Biden in an interview on MSNBC making his first public comments in reaction to this week's Republican National Convention, where Trump has focused mostly on law and order themes. Biden's remarks come ahead of President Trump's renomination acceptance speech in which he's expected to unleash a blistering attack on the former vice president. A number of former staffers for recent Republican presidential candidates are throwing their support behind Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. NPR's Osma Khalid reports the announcement comes just hours before the president delivers his acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention. More than 100 former John McCain staffers have signed a letter endorsing Joe Biden. Mark Salter was a longtime McCain aide. He helped draft the letter. And he said some of the signers disagree with a good chunk of the Democratic Party platform. But what was clear to us either is the almost unparalleled incompetence of this president and his failure 
to even accept responsibility for containing the, the corona pandemic. To Salter, it all comes down to national interest. Biden and Harris, he says, would be responsible leaders. A group of 34 former Mitt Romney staffers also signed an open letter endorsing Biden, describing President Trump's governing style as, quote, erratic and self-absorbed. Asma Khalid, NPR News. More Americans were signing contracts to buy new homes last month, suggesting the nation's hot housing market might remain on track through the fall. National Association of Realtors, the industry's main trade group, announcing its pending home sales index was up roughly 6%. Stocks closed mixed today on Wall Street. The Dow was up 160 points. The Nasdaq closed down 39 points. The S&P 500 was up 5 points. This is NPR. And taking a look at the weather, it looks like it's going to be sunny all week. Low of 68 tonight with high of 86 tomorrow with highs from the mid to upper 80s all week. Sacramento, again, sunny all week with low of 57 tonight, high of 93 tomorrow and 98 on Saturday. Highs in the low 90s over the weekend. And in Truckee, low of 41, high of 83, mostly sunny through next week with highs in the lower 80s. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Today I have the pleasure and opportunity to sit down with Sean, who is going to share with us some of his journey. Welcome to the program, Sean. Thank you for having me. Well, my story uh, really starts three years ago. I had a very good life. Um, I had a good career in marketing and business development, a wonderful girlfriend, literally white picket fence and, and dog in the house and everything. And then things took a turn and I, I did not take those changes very well. And I found myself in a place where I still had um, a good career and, uh, and a pretty good life, but I suddenly found myself in a place where I had both the time and money, and uh, I used those to, to cope. Did a lot of coping for a, for a year, <laughs> which uh, did eventually wind me up in the hospital and uh, with, with some medical problems. That, unfortunately, took me out of the game for months, quite a few months, actually. No one really cares. Your client doesn't care. The bank doesn't care. Your landlord doesn't care if you're in the hospital. I very rapidly no longer had a job or money or any support system. And I found myself uh, in a very bad place. One of my friends, uh, who was heavily associated with AA, brought me to a recovery and I was supposed to be here in recovery. Unfortunately, that process took so long to get me in the door, I was just homeless. Uh, after a suicide attempt that people did find me and really start, that's where my path to recovery really started. I met some people from the Spirit Center while I was in the CSU and they, they got me talking and they helped me 
find resources and they help me you know, find my way to hospitality house. They find, help me find a new way to look at how to frame my life, a new way to look at what I was still capable of. And it's, it's an ongoing journey. And what I really discovered is it wasn't an ongoing journey of just getting back on my feet, but it's an ongoing journey of life itself and how to simply be a better person and how to find meaning when everything that you've ever known and loved has either abandoned you or has just simply evaporated. How did that feel to discover that people cared and there was support out there despite the choices you had made in the past? It was, in a sense, perplexing. What I, what I'm used, or what I was used to and even to this day, something I struggle with is my personal value is based on what I am capable of doing for others. Uh, that's just how I've always been. It's how uh, my self-esteem is formed is what I can do. And they showed me that there are other paths on how to view yourself. But at the same time, I turned that aspect of my personality for better use. I became a volunteer at Spirit Center, for instance, and I almost immediately started giving back, partially because I could. I found an opportunity to where I could do some good, and I did it. And along the way, I met a lot of people who opened me up to, to new things. I discovered that I was very good at what I was doing. I was good at running support groups. I was good at being a volunteer. I was good at being a peer supporter. Nowadays, literally people will walk up to me and stop or just sit down and start opening up. And I take that as an amazing compliment. But at the same time, I do it because I know how much they need that support from me. It's not a great deal that it actually takes from me. It just requires listening helping people find the answers that are really within themselves and seeing that despite our uh, terrible circumstances, all is not lost and that the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel isn't necessarily a freight train coming towards you. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. I'm speaking with Heidi Hall, and she's chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. And we're going to talk about a town hall meeting tomorrow on the Joneses fire. Welcome to KVMR, Heidi. Give us a kind of an overview about tomorrow's town hall, like when it's going to be and how it's available for people to listen to. Sure. Um, uh, so Ubanet put this together. Um, Pascal uh, is going to be moderating this, and it's going to be at noon on Friday via Zoom. Um, so I'll tell you how you can register for it, but I want to give you a sense of who is going to be on there because they're going to be able to give you um, a great um, update, a sort of a download on what happened during the fire and who did what, and then an update on where things stand today and, um, and looking at how we need to continue to prepare because we still are in 
just the beginning of the fire season, believe it or not. So, um, so the panelists are going to be Cal Fire uh, Nevada Yuba Placer Unit Chief Brian Estes, who who runs much of this. Um, our own Consolidated Fire District Deputy Chief Jerry Funk, our County Sheriff Shannon Moon, and Captain Mike Walsh, our Emergency Operations Center Lieutenant Bob Jacobs, our OES Manager Paul Cummings. We're also going to have California State Park Sierra District Chief Ranger Matt Green, which is important because so much of this happened on state parks lands. Uh, also, the Nevada County Fairgrounds Public Information Officer Wendy Oaks and our veterinary disaster response team, the animal evac, um, Pat Ehlers. So they'll be able to talk about almost every aspect of this fire. That's a pretty impressive uh, group of people, Heidi, I would say. It is, it is. And they're all still busy doing recovery. So um, it's really great that we're able to, to that uh, Pascal was able to snag them for an hour, hour and a half. Now, what's the focus of this town hall going to be? So it is going to give folks an update on where we are today um, and really make sure that we're, we can answer questions that might still be out there in the community after they give that update um, and then remind people of all the ways they need to remain prepared for the next fires that might be coming through our area to talk about evacuate, being prepared to evacuate at a moment's notice and have your go bag ready with medicine and food and documents and pets and um, also to talk about where to go for assistance, like calling 211. Um, you know, I think one of the more important messages they're going to want to get out is that situational awareness and personal responsibility continue to be the number one thing for all of us, right? Preparing for this, that um, you may get a code red call um, but you may not be clear on where it to go. So you may want to get on the dashboard or you may want to reach out to one of your five people or um, in the worst case, you don't wait for a code red or a phone call or anything else. If you smell smoke and you feel endangered, you just get in your car and evacuate. So we want to make sure people know there are multiple ways to get uh, noticed about what is happening, but also that they need to remain situationally aware. Well, this is just the beginning of the fire season. Um, so uh, hard to believe, isn't it? Yes, With, it is. Uh, the yeah. fires that have been throughout the state. And then this Jones fire, which was really one of our nightmares to have a fire starting in the Yuba Canyon like that. Um, but I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear how, what an amazing response they had to that and how important it was to knock that thing down as fast as they did. Well, what are some of the ways the county is encouraging people to to be prepared for this? So we are, you know, we do have the Ready, Set, Go guide, which has gone out um, multiple places and through the mail. If you don't have one, you can go to Ready, Set, Go um, on the readynevadacounty.org website and see what's in it there. You should have a list of the items that you need to grab to go. If you have five minutes or if you have 20 minutes, um, you should have a go bag ready. If you can get evacuation tags, we handed out so many of those. If you remember the, uh, the, um, the car hop we had, we handed out tons and tons of those so that if you are evacuating, you can put those on a post or your mailbox and folks know that you are out of the house. Um, water, food, be sure to have your pets ready to go. Uh, know where you're going to meet up with your family if you are coming from different places. 
So there's a lot of a lot of ways we want to stay connected. Make sure you are signed up for Code Red, um, because that is still one of the one of the important ways we are notifying people. And be aware of the the high low siren that the deputies are using. So if you don't get any electronics, if all your electricity is out, your phone is dead, um, but you hear a deputy coming by with the high low sirens, that means get out right away. You know, one thing about the nature of fire is it can happen anytime. Could happen right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, having those that dry lightning cell come through just a day or two after the Jones fire was uh, pretty frightening for a number of folks. I know people who just repopulated their homes were keeping their go bags unpacked because uh, they knew we could have had another strike that night. So, you know, being aware of the weather is important, too. Uh, one of the great losses in the fire was, I mean, there was quite a good number of homes that were destroyed, but the Independence Trail took a beating. Um, that's that's pretty tough, I would say. It did. That's such a treasure for us here. And it involved um, so many hands building that in the first place. And we're already, um, we already, state parks and some county folks and others and the i think the yuba land trust went out there already to take a look at it so we are definitely going to be coalescing around a plan to rebuild that and i'm sure people are going to want to help and i'm sure we're going to be able to 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 do that to bring people in that that is such a treasure that needs to be rebuilt uh steve baker did an interview with uh, john olmstead's son uh, mm-hmm. and it was we aired it on last night's news, and I think there's a podcast up. I kind of recommend people have a listen to that to you know get some background on the Independence Trail and how it came into being. It's quite a story. It is. That's great. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR, and thanks to the Board of Supervisors for all the good work they're doing and the Nevada County uh, folks in general. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. And let me let me make sure your your listeners know where to go to sign up for this. You can go to readynevadacounty.org, and we now have a button on there for the Jones Fire Town Hall. Um, or you can go to Ubanet's website, but you need to go in and register to be part of the Zoom. So uh, make sure we folks know about that. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Take care. You bet. I'm Keith Porter for KVMR News, and we're going to talk today about Miner's Foundry in Nevada City. Miner's Foundry is a gold rush era foundry, actually made metal parts for the mines. It was rescued in the late 1900s as the American Victoria Museum by others, and then it took on a new life uh, as Miner's Foundry Cultural Center under Executive Director Gretchen Bond. And Gretchen, welcome to KVMR. And, and tell us when you actually started the Cultural Center operation of Miner's Foundry. Well, I didn't start it, but um, it was started in 1989, and I came on board in 2005. So I've been there actually 15 years this month. So Miner's Foundry has been in its present mode for a little over 30 years as a, a cultural center. Yes, it's definitely one of our long-standing institutions in Nevada County. So tell us, what does the Foundry do and why is all of that so important to our community? We are a community cultural center, so we do a variety of things at the Foundry. We are home to a number of 
annual events that um, a lot of people know about as far as like Fright Night and Jerry Bash and Psychic Fair. So we have our own events that we do. The building is also rented, so people can rent it for anything from their nonprofit fundraising event to quinceañeras to celebrations of life. We have weddings at the Foundry. The other thing is that we do um, look at trends, things that are are working well and things that aren't working so well anymore. And so we we definitely do um, shift as uh, the, as the tides change, so to speak. And there have been events that we've had over the years that we no longer host. We've created new ones, such as the Nevada City Craft Fair, which has been extremely successful. We have one in the spring and one in the winter, uh, which attracts like close to a thousand people. So it sounds um, it sounds like you focus on continuing to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what the community wants and needs and respond to that. Yeah, Is that right? Definitely, definitely we do that. And then of course we also present our own shows. So we do concerts and we partner with local organizations like Sierra Stages, we do Theater by the Book. Uh, we have our own readers theater which we call Storytime for Adults. We have Foundry Sings, which has become extremely popular. I think this would have been our fourth year. So, yes, we look to do new and different things. We like to respond to the needs of the community. Also, all the proms are at the Foundry. We do the county spelling bee, the writing contest, the math contests happen there, Seven Hills Medieval Festival. I mean, the list is like really long. Most, if not all, of those things we've been talking about are not happening now with COVID-19. Is that true? Because of the governor's orders, we are not allowed to have any kind of indoor activities at all. And so, no, there's nothing happening inside the foundry right now. How has that impacted the foundry, both operationally and financially? Operationally, it's definitely shifted what we do. Financially, We were fine in the beginning and were thinking probably like a lot of organizations and businesses that the pandemic would not be this protracted. The Foundry chose not to go ask the community for for money in the beginning because we had been very financially conservative and we had a bit of a nest egg, but that's running out. And so before that runs out, we will need to go to the community and ask them for their support for sure. Operationally, what we've done, we also finished a beautiful new bar in March. Just in time, right? Yeah, it was so perfectly timed. (laughs) But uh, And we were able to open. We did have a little bit of an opening when that was allowed, but then we're not not allowed to have, nobody's allowed to be inside unless I mean, we could do like a virtual concert or something like that in or, the building. Or fam- family group gatherings of certain of small no. size, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. No, you can't do that. The only thing we can do is we can- could have a wedding ceremony, and that's the extent of it. There would be no reception, no no dinner, no music, no dancing. So, um, but we are allowed to have ceremonies. Okay. So, and then you were starting, I think, to tell me how that's impacted the organization, your staff, uh, your operations, and well, so forth. As far as operationally, initially, we needed to lay off a number of our employees. Um, we basically furloughed them, and we went a little bit quiet and dark. We felt that it was really important to continue to be available to the community and open. So we moved our bar outside. So we now have a patio bar and we're open on Thursday through Saturday evenings from 5 until 9.30. We do have musicians playing. These aren't concerts. We just have music for people who come to the bar. Uh, We have food available. 
And then we also opened a cafe in the morning, Thursday through Sunday. So we serve Foxhound coffee. We have scones and egg toast and lots of yummy things, yummy bites for the folks in the morning. And we're looking to expand that into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday after we've practiced a little bit more. So we we basically shifted what we were doing, and um, we're going to probably start offering some a little bit of music in the mornings as well when the cafes open. It's nice to be able to offer something to our local musicians who don't um, have very many opportunities to play. At some point, we're going to offer outdoor games, which I think should be kind of fun. Right. We just have to like do it in a way where it's safe. So, but it's pretty. It's very socially distanced. We've got a lot of different places for people to sit. So that's what we've done. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about your plans for uh, continuing to operate in new and creative ways. And obviously, we'll look forward to a time when the foundry can reopen to its normal mode of having lots and lots of really interesting gatherings inside, interesting shows, interesting concerts, all that sort of thing inside. Yeah, and, and we will be able to, as soon as we're able to do that, we'll be able to do it. We're ready. Okay, so you're staying, and, you're staying prepared. Yeah, we're ready. It, it's kind of like we're planning not to do stuff, and then we're planning to do stuff. You know, we have to do both. Right. And um, the foundry's the foundry staff is very used to shifting from, you know, a prom to a concert to a wedding to you know anything. So we're we're very very flexible. We're really good at doing that, and we have been for years. So as soon as the governor gives us the orders that we can begin to do things back inside we'll do that and the cafe and the bar will just continue to run alongside all of that well let's hope that sooner rather than later but obviously we're all in the same boat waiting waiting for things to happen so how can the community support miners foundry during this difficult time Uh, because we're a nonprofit, we can accept donations they can go to our website which is minersfoundry.org click on the donate button and they can make a donation to the foundry which would be greatly appreciated Gretchen Bond, Executive Director of Miners Foundry, thank you for that update about the foundry, and uh, we'll all hope for uh, returning as soon as possible to have some wonderful experiences there as we've become so used to in the past. Thank you, Gretchen. Yeah, you're welcome, and, and come come see me at the bar sometime. All right. Okay. You're listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30, we have this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with an essay. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet Dear Diary, The question is, shall I tell you what it was like to evacuate in the face of a nearby fire, or shall I just describe coming home again and patting the walls inside my house in a friendly manner, glad to see them intact. 
Like everything else these days, events seem to flash by, even the horrible ones, and then the next surprise shows up and you move on. Maybe this is what it was like for Huckleberry Finn, an American literary icon back when a male icon was judged sufficient for every gender. Floating down river, except now there are, metaphorically, crocodiles and anacondas in the Mississippi, and it's polluted with industrial waste. But I digress. I came home after four days to some, but not very many, dead plants, and a sky full of smoke that made it impossible to safely breathe outside. My cats, whose lives I had valiantly saved even though they didn't realize it, were deliriously happy to be back again, and quite resentful of what they clearly saw as a cockamamie fit on my part designed only to torture them. Two ignored me, one disappeared entirely, and Sid, darling Sid, who is still alive against all odds, bit me on the left shoulder when he wanted something to eat, as usual. I wish I had someone to bite when it was dinner time. I am very sick of making my own food. This pandemic has taught me a few things, and one is how much work it is to plan your meals, have other people shop for you, and then prepare food in time for supper. While I was a refugee, my friend Juliet made balanced and delicious meals for three of us, and I'm afraid I got used to it. The night I came home, I had a piece of cheddar and a plum for dinner, washed down with iced tea. Partly this was because the power had been out, and I had to throw away everything in the freezer and fridge, including all the chicken soup I had just made the week before to last through the winter. But partly it was the exhaustion involved in meal planning. Speaking of freezers, if you ever have to leave your house and want to know whether the power went out while you were gone, you just need one popsicle. Forget this business of turning a tray of ice cubes upside down. When those cubes melt, they make a pond in the bottom of your freezer, which then freezes into a small ice skating rink, and you have to chip it out. A popsicle stays in its little wrapper, but is obviously misshapen if it has melted and refrozen. Put that on your list of how to be ready for wildfires. Buy a box of popsicles, eat all but one, and you're set. The truth is, dear diary, whatever you do, you are never going to be ready enough for a wildfire. Your house will burn down or it won't. You'll take the right things or you won't. It feels important, but none of it really matters. What you want to concentrate on is keeping yourself and your household's other sentient beings alive. The rest, speaking of dinner, is complete and total gravy. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for the evening. Next up, we have Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman.